Hi, I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. And today, I'm sharing secrets with Josh Lee of Chainapsis. Chainapsis makes Kepler Wallet, which is one of the wallets in the secret network ecosystem that allows you to stake your secrets, interact with the network, and soon they're going to be adding support for secret contracts, secret tokens, all sorts of great functionality. You need great network tooling if you want your network to be successful. And Josh knows all about this. So I'm going to talk with Josh a little bit about the Cosmos ecosystem, about DeFi, about tooling, and how he got to where he currently is on his journey of providing critical tooling and products to the blockchain space. It's a really insightful conversation with somebody who is on the ground working to bring these kinds of products to life and focus on end user adoption. So without any further introduction, here is Josh. Josh, thank you so much for agreeing to share some secrets with me. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share some of my secrets and um, yeah, kind of get to interact with uh, more, more or less the community that exists around Secret Network and um, allowing them to kind of uh, get to know me a little better. Yeah, I'm very excited for them to get to know you and to get to know Kepler and to get to know some of your thoughts on, on the whole ecosystem as it stands or, or as it could exist. But we should probably start with who are you? Uh, so <laughs> who are you and what are you building? Yeah, so my name is Josh Lee, um, better known um, in some circles as Dogemos. Um, I've been an active contributor uh, within the Cosmos ecosystem for the past three years or so. Um, even before mainnet launch. Um, right now, I'm an ecosystem analyst at Tendermint. And at the same time, I have a company called Chainapsis, and our main product right now is Kepler. Uh, and we provide uh, basically a MetaMask-like experience of interacting with blockchains that are built on the Cosmos SDK uh, and basically trying to lower the barrier, of, barrier to entry for uh, the average user want to use these blockchain applications. Yeah, and I love that vision. We'll definitely get a chance to talk about how more robust network tooling is going to lead, we hope, to much broader adoption. So let me let me ask you how, how you got here, because as you said, you've been a part of the Cosmos ecosystem even before there was a Cosmos. So what were you doing before and what made you sort of move in this direction? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I actually, my first job out of the mandatory military service that all Koreans have to do was uh, as a blockchain journalist. Um, when I actually first joined that company, uh, I didn't know very much about Bitcoin or blockchain in general. I didn't even know what Ethereum was, but I did know what Dogecoin was because uh, I actually bought a little bit back in 2014 when I was in college and uh, sending tips at friends and um, random people on the subreddit. And I just really loved the culture that exists around it. Um, never would I have, uh, never would I have ever thought that I'd be working in this field, but um, one thing led to another, and I was a journalist for about a year in a Korean crypto media, um, and I got to actually learn so much about Bitcoin and blockchain. And I think one thing that really drew me to this field was how multidisciplinary uh, this entire space is. There's a little bit of politics, sociology, computer science, psychology. Um, 
legal stuff. And, you know, for me, having that wide variety of things that you can always learn um, from just being in the same space uh, is always fascinating and um, aim to be a lifelong learner. And while I was actually um, a journalist in that company, um, my editor introduced me to Cosmos and why he was so excited about it. And since he was, you know, one of the big mentors of, um, for me, as I was learning blockchain, uh, really got to kind of share some of the vision and the mission that Cosmos um, tried to set out to solve, which was blockchain interoperability. So I've, you know, helped organize um, some of the early Cosmos meetups. And one thing led to another. I was, uh, and then eventually I'm here at Tendermint. And even have my own company going, uh, building infrastructure for the Cosmos ecosystem. Yeah, I love that. I love uh, how you can get involved, as you said, with every piece of the ecosystem and, and you're building on your experience as a, a journalist and communicator uh, when you have your own company or, or no matter what you're doing in the blockchain space, you have to be a great communicator. And at the same time, I like how you expressed it as a little bit of politics. I find it to be a lot of bit of politics and a lot of bit of incentive design and a lot of bit of all of these, what I would call soft skills, in addition to some of the hard technical skills, which are critical to ensuring that these things work and are secure. Uh, so you're, you're dead on when you say multidisciplinary. I think that's exactly the right word. So let's talk about that, I guess. Uh, so what do you consider to be uh, your skill set? What are the biggest skills that you think you are bringing right now to the Cosmos ecosystem? And how is that manifesting uh, with Chainapsis in particular and what you guys are trying to build? Mm -hmm. So I actually think I put on a lot of different types of hats um, right now. And I have put on different hats in the past as well. Um, I actually kind of like to introduce people that I'm more of a Swiss army knife rather than some craftsman tool. Um, and I say that because, you know, um, when, when a company is growing, when an ecosystem is growing, sometimes, you know, having a little screwdriver off, off of that, like Swiss Army knife, is going to get, you know, 80% of the job done. And, you know, having extra tools at hand, even though they might not be the best tools in the industry, um, is really important. And, you know, for me, I actually uh, majored in video productions. Uh, I think my first step into the community was by making memes with After Effects. <laughs> and, you know, doing a little bit of community, uh, doing translations of uh, the white paper, documentations, and things like that. And eventually, uh, as I understood more of the technical aspects, um, being able to actually get my hands on with building stuff, as well as um, trying to kind of find some of the strategy and plan out where Cosmos ecosystem can move forward towards. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you know, a little bit of everything, but I think that's crucial when uh, you're in a very young environment, very vibrant ecosystem of uh, things moving really quickly. Yeah, you have to be willing to wear those hats and you have to learn to wear the hats that you've never worn. I definitely agree with that. And at the same time, when you're describing all these skill sets, I'm still hearing the same ethos or the same sort of aligning factor, which I think is adoption. You know, if you're doing video production and you're making memes and you're trying to engage the community, what you're trying to do is have a set of people, real people, who are going to be interacting with these applications, with this protocol, and who are understanding the core vision behind it.
So let's talk a little bit about adoption because there's what you can do on the community building side, on the education side. It's a bit of what we do at Secret Foundation as well. But you're doing something at the technical level with, I think, the introduction of uh, a wallet. And I think that wallets are so key uh, to having healthy adoption of applications. Everything can't just be command line and we expect to see millions of users adopting this. So talk to me a little bit about you know, how you got involved specifically with building Kepler Wallet and what you think the main utility it's providing to the Cosmos ecosystem or beyond is. Mm -hmm. So I think um, adoption of blockchain comes in different phases. So you have um, some of these people who are um, initially kind of pitching some new architecture and new ways to build a, uh, a blockchain itself. And then the phase after that is when these tools get actually built and developers and other builders start using it. Um, but I think the end goal for all blockchain projects and, and the people that are building these tools is that um, the average user uh, would be able to interact with this blockchain and create meaningful interactions uh, in the form of transactions. And um, I think we're finally moving from the early stages of blockchain where it was mostly about ideas and building tools solely for developers um, to now where things are more consumer facing and more we're, we're seeing a growth in the knowledge of the user where before it was simply asset trading and, and speculation and you know these speculators have somehow evolved to become uh, liquidity providers um, who are actively managing their portfolio um, people who are staking. Um, so I think we're seeing a growth of understanding of blockchain from users while at the same time seeing more people really engaged with the blockchain space in general uh, so much with so much more uh, meaning and intent than what we saw in 2017 and 2018. And, and this is why I think uh, I'm just so excited to see and be able to build some of these products uh, that interface with that next phase of blockchain growth and adoption growth. Yeah, I love this word you chose to use, which is intent, right? People are showing up and they know what they want to do. And at the same time, they're discovering even more things that they can do. And I guess it's our job as builders to keep expanding the set of what is possible with these technologies or with the tooling. And in that regard, I think, you know, Kepler, for example, makes this really easy. You can you can easily start to stake. You can easily store your assets. It, it's really it's really expanding that set of what's possible. So in terms of getting to mass adoption, other than like having these accessible tools available to this new class of intent driven users, what do you think are the other biggest blockers to seeing millions of users beginning to engage with blockchain-based decentralized applications? Mm -hmm. I would personally say that Kepler isn't an application that is fully um, consumer-facing yet. Um, I think we're kind of in between that transition between developers and users. And the reason why I say that is I think what drives consumers to actually use some of these products are meaningful applications and useful applications and fun applications, right? And these are some of the critical things that need to exist for users to be even interested in crypto in general. And that also means that um, developers 
must have tooling which allow them to build um, the ideas that they have in their head into actual code and into actual product. And um, so, so one part of our, I guess, customer base is actually developers who are building some of these tools and deploying these uh, crypto uh, applications. And we basically provide a, a way for them to, um, yeah, not have to worry about, you know, building a wallet from scratch. It's just so much easier to use what's available. Uh, it's completely open source. And it saves them a lot of time where they can kind of focus their time and resources into what they're really passionate about and what they're really good at. And then on the other side of that, I think, is the end users who are interacting with these blockchain applications. And um, this is the area where I think um, up until recently, I don't think there have been a lot of emphasis on um, interactions outside of asset management. And, and that's actually kind of how Kepler got started was um, back then, um, my friends and I wanted to kind of start a new application-specific blockchain based on the Cosmos SDK. And we realized that all the wallets that existed in this ecosystem were purely uh, focused on sending assets and staking assets um, and maybe even voting, right? And, and that's great. I think, you know, staking is one of the most revolutionary things that to have happened in, in the blockchain space. And we're seeing a lot more participation into uh, governance and consensus from the end users in that. But you know, for, for a proof of stake system to be meaningful, um, the proof of stake system must come to consensus on something and, and that's the application. And when you have applications in, in the Cosmos ecosystem, that means you're gonna have to have a wallet that supports um, application specific transactions. And that was kind of uh, an empty space that we felt like existed in the Cosmos ecosystem. And, you know, if, if something that something doesn't exist that you want it to exist, um, why not just start building it? And that's actually how we got started. Um, yeah, by building something that we felt was needed. And yeah, and now we have Kepler. <laughs> That's always where you want to start. Uh, it, it would be probably a bad idea to go the other way, is to build something nobody needs and then try to convince them to use it. It's always a good sign when you are the key user for your initial application. And as you're saying, like in this case, you know that you are not the only one like you. You're solving a problem for everyone like you in the Cosmos ecosystem. So that's really cool. Let's, let's talk for a second then about what it takes to build sustainably as an independent development team, like we're talking about. It's one thing to have an idea and to ship it, and you know now it exists. But if you want this tool to still be available for users and developers in the long term, there needs to be some sort of path to self-sustainability, uh, whether you're building the tooling or an application or, or a protocol, obviously. So what are some secrets that you've kind of learned as you've gone off on this path yourself around, you know, it's now your responsibility to make sure that your effort is sustainable. What have you kind of learned trying to put yourselves on that strong long-term footing so that you can continue to solve problems for people, including yourselves? Mm -hmm. I think some of the things that I really realized in this space was, first of all, it's hard to find talent who knows how to build um, blockchain tooling and, and develop um, crypto related things. 
But what's even harder is it's hard to find who's able to build that and is also passionate about doing it. Um, and I think it gets even harder um, when you're trying to look for someone who's good at it and is passionate at it, but you as a company don't have money or, or the finance, financial resources to kind of um, pay for uh, their salary or, or things like that. Because um, a lot of times you're competing against uh, deep-pocketed projects and, and other teams who are able to offer you so much more and um and yeah and, and when you come down to that uh you have to realize that you have to have a very clear vision of what you want to do and have a and, and basically build a team that's that shares that common vision and has their goals aligned so um when we actually first started the company um it was tony who is our lead developer and i um i was still working in tendermint and um Tony and I were kind of um, brainstorming some ideas on staking derivatives early on, but that first project actually didn't end up uh, really well. So the company had to kind of dissolve and split. And we felt like, okay, like Kepler got started out of this project, but we know that it has value, but we don't even know how we're going to kind of continue um, paying for uh, resources and, and office space and things like that. So. Um, it actually got started with Tony pitching in 2,500 and me pitching in 2,500 because that was the minimum amount of cash you needed to have to create a new corporation in Korea. Um, and we're like, okay, you know, Tony, I'm not going to get paid until we have uh, some solid financial resources um, in our company. And I hope you can be okay with the fact that you probably won't be getting paid until uh, we find some way to sustain ourselves. And you know that's how it was for the first four months. Um, you know, it was, and and this is why I think it's so important that you have someone in your team who's good at it and is passionate about it. Because um, you know, when when you when when it comes down to it, when you don't have the uh, abundant resource to offer them, uh, it's usually these people who are really good at it and passionate about it that sticks around. And you know, in the first four months, I think we saw maybe. It'd be a great day if we found one new user that's uh, that that installed Kepler. Uh, and you know the the thing that we realized is that building these tools from scratch is you know eighty percent background work and foundational work, and, and what gets exposed to the user is the other twenty percent. And, and since we were building this eighty percent of what was needed uh, with you know no financial resources, we didn't have any investors. Um, and, and we had so much to do with uh, one main developer and me kind of taking on the role of designer, communications, uh, PR, and, and other operations. Um, you know, it was kind of getting down under and we're like, okay, let's just get this to a point where we can release it out to the public and see what happens from there. So, um, yeah, I think that was kind of the early stories of Kepler since May up until end of August. Um, and I think that's when we kind of started seeing a little bit more traction coming as the growth of the Cosmos ecosystem and people who used Cosmos SDK came. And, and that's when things were like, okay, like things are about to become huge. Yeah. And what a feeling. Uh, I, I mean, to finally see traction, not just for like, 
the initial idea, but where it could go. And it sounds like you got, I don't want to say lucky, obviously, because, but like you said, it's very hard to identify passionate people, but that's critical because I guess, you know, passion is a renewable resource. If you genuinely love working on and communicating about the thing that is your responsibility, you can be exhausted at the end of one day, but wake up the next day and find that same passion to plug back into it. And if you're not passionate about it, it, it really is a resource that over time just gets drained. You have to have a real passion, I think, not only for the product that you're building, but for the multidisciplinary nature of the space. Like if you enjoy working only on one part of the space and you have no tolerance for also communication and politics and the soft skills, or if vice versa, you only care about that side of it, but you never want to get hands-on with the tech, I, I do mm -hmm. think that this space can be really draining. And, and it's very fortunate that you've managed to find this what seems to be really effective working relationship and it's led to uh, a really great product. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, that's why I'm really thankful for something that, uh, that Tony's role of just being a super talented developer who's able to tackle all parts of product development from building a, a blockchain itself at the fairly core level up to, you know, building a front end interface that the end user will see. And um, for me to kind of compliment him in the way that um, I know a little bit of design, self-taught, um, you know, I know uh, English, which is something Tony is not really fluent in, and, and a lot of other skills that uh, he might not have. And, uh, but we, we, you know, co commonly share a passion for this ecosystem. And um, from day one, we wanted to align the success of our company and the team to the success of the ecosystem. And uh, and yeah, and I think that's what makes it so rewarding is uh, we know that we wouldn't have gotten at least to the point where we are if the ecosystem wasn't able to kind of grow. And, and we know that the fact that we're able to, uh, we were able to kind of make it, um, I would say about six months now, um, was only solely because the Cosmos ecosystem got bigger. We saw more community engagement. We saw more people building and shipping product um, that we were able to actually make it this far. So we're actually really grateful about that. That's super exciting. Well, let's talk for a second about uh, one path to funding, which is the use of community funds. Uh, and it's how, uh, specifically with support of Secret Network, uh, we're seeing a, a path to some level of sustainability. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, your experience interacting with the secret network community or with the community pool, like what that has done for you guys or, or how you see your support of the ecosystem evolving. I think it's just, I, I, I am a little secret network centric myself, but the reason I'm asking you is because I think it's just a, a really solid example of, of what I'm hoping more projects are able to do for tooling developers in their ecosystem. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, just the fact that we actually got funding from a governance proposal, like that is an insane feeling. Like when, when that passed, we were like, holy shit. I think this we like, I think this makes us likely the only company, blockchain company in Korea, where we were actually funded by a governance proposal on a decentralized network. Everyone else is, you know, works off of, of service agreements, contracts, consulting things. Um, I think, you know, we were one of the first companies in the entire country to be able to uh, 
you know, fund ourselves through a uh, governance proposal. And that feeling is just insane. Um, and we take pride in the fact. Um, I think something that the community may not realize is that I think the growth of the ecosystem happens when there is not only enough eyes looking at it, but enough incentives to kind of build things in the long run. And that's why I'm really excited about the how, the, the process of the community pool evolving. Um, I think in the in the first part of Secret Network and even the in the Cosmos Hub, we just kind of saw people, you know, give a part of their staking awards that keeps accumulating this, to this pool. But we were like, okay, what what are we gonna do? Like, what does a proposal look like to make this? You know, how do you even spend it? What is the process like? You know, what do we even fund and, and things like that? And then I think we're finally kind of seeing some movement into actually more actively using uh, this this community pool. And and I guess. Sorry, I kind of, I kind of like left off on that question. Um, could you kind of repeat that? <laughs> well, you're answering good questions, even if it's not the original questions. But no, I, I really was just curious about the experience of being funded by the pool, which you answered to to my great satisfaction as, as being very exciting and motivating to you guys, which I think is always the intent. Uh, and then now you're getting into talking about uh, the sustainability of all of this, right? Like, what if you have a pool? how do you make sure it keeps getting used for the right purposes? How do you have accountability, uh, but also, you know, long-term growth, right? You, this isn't about like putting too many controls on something. It's about aligning incentives for the long-term as, as I think you're saying. So it's, it's just really interesting to see from the perspective of somebody who's been funded by one of these proposals, as opposed to somebody who might've voted on one of these proposals, you know, what it means to the recipient more than what it means to the entire community. Cause if you're telling me mm -hmm. it's a really motivating experience, then it tells me that this is probably something sustainable that we want to continue to encourage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, um, I think one of the really interesting part that I realized through this process is that, um, you know, chain apps as a company actually were uh, we we were approached by other blockchain um, companies projects outside of the Cosmos ecosystem as well, and um, even though we weren't uh, abundant on resources at the time, um, we actually really wanted to build something that was meaningful and we felt like was novel and interesting, and just the fact that we were interested in secret network and, and the idea of the first privacy centric blockchain uh, within the cosmos ecosystem was fascinating and i think kind of getting to know that more was what led us into digging deeper into it and um, going so far as to actually requesting a, a community governance proposal for this um, because, you know, you can have people who may just, you know, they might be a, a simple uh, dev shop that's willing to kind of do whatever, depending on what the pay is. But I think the most value that you get are not typically from those uh, kinds of companies and teams. It's out of people who really think that this is interesting and um, there's a long kind of future on it. And I think the path to sustainability must always depend on the success of the project because uh, you know if you're not you're basically a blockchain mercenary uh, 
you're willing to do whatever for payment. Um, I think what you want are people who are invested in the community, invested in the growth, and willing to align themselves um, with with whatever they're building, right? Yeah. And here I think one of the key advantages within our ecosystem is we know what our ecosystem stands for. Anybody interacting with Secret Network understands that we have a privacy-centric focus and that we've built something that is unique. And mm -hmm. the community, of course, is, is so engaged by the idea that they're seeing something happen for the first time. And that level of excitement and passion, even though it comes with its ups and downs, that's not easily replicatable. And it's attracted, as you're saying, like a lot of really wonderful initial partners who are not only aligned by the fact that, oh, wow, we can get paid, but we can be a part of something that we're actually proud to be a part of. And I think that one of our ultimate responsibilities as an ecosystem, and maybe the foundation particularly, is ensuring that anybody who interacts with our ecosystem or with the community pool or with any of our you know, participants in our ecosystem walks away feeling like that was an amazing experience. I want to talk to these people more. I want more of this. And in so many ecosystems, it's just so, it can be so draining. All of these interactions, every time you're just like, well, thank God that calls over. Thank God I can turn this off at the end of the day because yep. they, they just don't enjoy it. So uh, all of this is really wonderful to hear. And, and I hope that we can keep it up. Yeah. And, and I think something that like that's in the core of our team's philosophy is um, I personally was not very content with the business model of um, wallets charging projects simply to integrate their network into the wallet. I felt like if we were going to get paid, we had to offer them something beyond just letting users access the network. That's basically a given, right? Like if you're looking for growth in the ecosystem, from a wallet's perspective, um, uh, and from the ecosystem perspective, you want wallets to support as many networks as they can. Um, obviously, that's not easy because um, I think most wallets tend to take the business model of, okay, we have you know headcounts to pay for, office space that we have to pay for. Uh, the best and most simple way to make money is, you know, we've already built something, we'll just add your network and we get paid for it. Um, for us, we always wanted to make sure that the network got something new out of whatever we were working on so that we felt like we were being compensated not just for what we've already built but also for something that we're providing for that network and and i think for kepler here is you know it's it's the secret contract is uh adding that ledger support um, and providing an interface for it and um allowing users to interact with um secret tokens um, manage that into within their wallets and things like that um, rather than just saying we'll add your network to our wallet please pay us this amount of you know this much uh, we wanted to make sure that you know the community felt like they were getting something more than just a wallet support uh, that we were actually being a part of um, developing and growing the uh, ecosystem as well yeah you absolutely are so with that in mind, let's, for the last part of our conversation, turn to talking about some key applications here. So we've written a lot about what we think privacy means for DeFi applications, uh, thinking that decentralized financial applications really do need privacy in order to scale and gain global adoption. And we've written about a few things like you mentioned secret tokens. We've also written a little bit about things like secret staking derivatives. I'm curious, just from your personal perspective, again, like asking about your personal passions in this space. 
which of these concepts are kind of the most exciting to you uh, to see emerge within Secret Network and within the cosmos? I think for me, uh, my passion has uh, always been really on the emergence of staking and DeFi. And I don't think there's been uh, a field that describes that better than uh, the idea of staking derivatives. So I think when, when people were first building these systems, they were coming out with the idea that staking is a security mechanism and it's, uh, it's how a blockchain comes to consensus and, and how they find uh, malicious behavior and protect themselves against, uh, and uh, against Byzantine behavior like that. Um, and I think on the other side of that, because there exists an um, incentive disincentive mechanism through staking awards, um, it gets really interesting when you kind of see that as yield that exists within the protocol and um, how some of that could actually, in theory, compete with um, DeFi and um, a lot of other yield generating assets as well. Um, so yeah, and, and I think where that emerges, uh, where, where that connects to secret network is, has been that, you know, people could build any type of DeFi application um, using WASM contracts, but what makes secret network stand out is that you could deploy on the secret network and you'll get privacy for the application that you've built basically by default. It, it makes that process so much easier rather than having to build your own privacy-centric um, DeFi application. And, and I, I think when, you know, when I first heard the staking derivatives idea um, on secret network, I was like, okay, you know, it's just another staking derivatives. And later is when I realized like, oh my God, like this is, you know, you could actually stake in secret um, because there exists this privacy layer and the staking derivatives layer. And, and this is, I think, where things get really interesting and fascinating. Yes, they get interesting and fascinating, and I don't want to claim that like st secret staking derivatives solve every problem, but what I find so exciting about it is we are now faced with a new set of opportunities and a new set of challenges that only because we have privacy by default, we're starting to be able to tackle these new kinds of what I would call better problems. I would rather be solving for like, okay, what is the implications of having privacy preserving staking derivatives like how do we now leverage this to the best of our ability then where we were before was you know we didn't even have the option and every time i'm a guest on somebody else's podcast i'm talking about when i talk about privacy for blockchain i'm not saying it's about obscuring every fact that ever occurs what it is is like we've never even had the choice it, everything is private is public by design and privacy never implementing any kind of privacy solution for any blockchain application has been impossible effectively uh, or impossible to do securely cheaply etc and you're saying like with secret network the idea is that this is by default but we still have controls right we, we still have the ability to have this balance of privacy and transparency so i guess the question is you know with these applications like staking derivatives so on like privacy gives us some advantages there's also some interesting disadvantages or trade-offs uh so wh where do you think the greatest advantages of, of privacy would be in DeFi? Like what is the one application within DeFi that you would think would benefit the most from building on secret network? If it's staking derivatives, it's staking derivatives, but if it's something else, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested. So, so something that I've been thinking more about is the implication of 
DeFi going cross-chain, right? And, and I kind of like that term, interchain finance. Um, and I think um, the fact that, well, I think it's the, the fact that privacy becomes a composable tool of the DeFi stack is what gets interesting. I don't think it's necessarily one application that benefits from privacy, but rather whatever, well, I, I think the success of DeFi is solely on the fact that it was so composable. Like someone could build one Lego block, another person builds another, and I could basically you know, put the two together and create a completely new uh, financial application um, based on something that, you know, someone else has already built uh, completely permissionlessly. Um, and, and I think staking derivatives is one of these new novel uh, Lego blocks that was introduced, that's being introduced um, as we speak. And, and the fact that privacy, I think before, was seen more as uh, like an end product of, you know, it's like you have an asset and this asset is private. So this is like the end product of, of this privacy. I think what gets interesting here is privacy becomes a tool that you can leverage to build secondary and third, uh, you know, tertiary applications um, alongside with something like CDPs, money markets, and staking derivatives. It actually becomes, you know, one of the tools, you composable tools you can use to build uh, financial applications. Whereas before it was seen more as like the end product that existed. And um, yeah, and that, and that evolution of being going from an end product to a tool you can leverage, I think it's really powerful. Because I think, you know, not a lot of us know where, what application will be the next big thing, what's going to take off. And, and when you're in that market, I think providing the best tools and these best Lego blocks available and that kind of allows you to kind of set up for success, right? That's such a brilliant positioning because what we refer to as programmable privacy is the idea that, you know, these privacy controls within applications are, are programmable. They can be arbitrarily complex. But now you're introducing this concept of composable privacy. And I really like that concept because it shows how foundational privacy is to all these applications. And we have already seen in a number of ways within the Ethereum and Cosmos spaces, you know, siloing privacy and, and trying to solve privacy application by application is not the right approach because it doesn't solve privacy well enough. And composable privacy, the way that you're describing it, it does seem like the answer and an answer that's been missing for years. Uh, so it sounds like you're, you're at least aligned with me where we think maybe privacy is the next fundamental building block for the next fundamental application that, that gets wide adoption. And it's not necessarily for you or I to say which application that's going to be, but because of the power of composable privacy, we can have confidence that maybe somehow Secret Network will be involved with this. And that to me is tremendously exciting. Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, when you're, when you're in the blockchain space, the best, um, the the, the network, the ecosystem with the best tools, I think, is the one that's going to end up um, winning a big chunk of that pie. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's that's what's so exciting about um, Secret Network and the Cosmos ecosystem in general, I think. Well, uh, all I can say is thank you for contributing to the tooling of the ecosystem. And of course, in multiple ways, right? You're not just helping to build out Kepler, but 
just by appearing on this podcast, I think you've helped to educate a lot of people in our community and in the broader ecosystem, Cosmos, Ethereum, and otherwise, a little bit about, you know, how you approach building out critical tooling for ecosystems, you know, how you think about building sustainable businesses that can continue to build and support that tooling. I think that this has been a really illuminating conversation, so I can't wait to get it all edited and get it all released. In the meantime, Josh, if people want to uh, get started with Kepler, if they want to learn more about you or any of what you're doing or building, where can they go uh, on the internet? So yeah, uh, we actually, because we're such a small company, uh, we don't have you know resources to manage Telegram channels or Discord chat. The best place for you to stay updated to what we're up to would be on Twitter. So it's just twitter.com um, at chainapsis, uh, chain plus A-P-S-I-S. Or you can follow me at Twitter um, at Dojmos. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll find me you know, in, in some of the secret Telegram channels in the Discord um, Cosmos channels. Uh, I'll drop in every once in a while, say hi, try to solve your problems. And yeah, and we're always open to feedback and we love hearing user stories. Like that's what drives us. So. Awesome. I have that's one I have one piece of feedback. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how do we start working on privacy for Dogecoin? I actually have the exact same question um, mm. because, um, you know, my, my entire name kind of derived from my love, love for uh, Dogecoin and my love for Cosmos. And I love, I love to see a secret Dogemos token somehow come alive ah. where we don't have to basically kill, you know, kill the environment to keep meme coins alive. I think meme coins are meaningful in the, in, you know, by themselves. <laughs> Uh, we don't have to be burning a ton of electricity. And <laughs> it'd be even awesome if you know, if it was, if if it had privacy features. Yes. Well, secret Doge coming to a blockchain near you, thanks to Josh. But thank you, Josh, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners will as well. Best of luck with everything, and then I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like subscribe and make sure to check out all the secret network communities that you can see here including the secret chat the secret forum and of course our twitter thank you so much for listening we'll see you the next time we share secrets